got a Bible, you can open up to the book of Luke. Uh, but just before we get to Luke, I want to uh, speak about someone who loves the limelight. And uh, so where is Amy with the glare? I can't see. Where is Amy? Amy, can you stand? Actually, come and join me up front here quickly. <clears throat> just give her a round of applause. I know she hasn't done anything. <clears throat> we celebrate people for who they are. <laughs> so Amy's loving me right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've got I've called Amy to the front uh, simply because shame she's crying. <laughs> it's Amy's last Sunday with us, and uh, last year Rich went to the UK, and there's been a really long, difficult delay. Uh, but Amy is leaving this week to join Richard in the UK, and so that's a good thing. But it's also a sad thing. Uh, leaving leaving today. I don't know if there's anything you would like to say. I'd like to pray for you. That's the main thing. But let's just reach out our hands. Amy uh, and Rich have been a part of this church forever and ever. And Amy, you might not have seen her. The only time you see her if something happens at the back there, because uh, Amy has been on the multimedia team and, and just a part of our church and in a community group. And so let's just love on her. Thank you. This, these are good times to know that God is not the God of South Africa. Amen. But he's Lord of all, King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus, for Amy and for Richard. And uh, Lord, we thank you that finally, Lord, they are going to be able to be reunited. Lord, it's, uh, it's sweet for that purpose, Lord, but bitter in the sense that this becomes then final, that they have moved and uh, Amy goes this week. And so, Lord, we, we just thank you that, Lord, there's no place we can go where we're outside of your presence we thank you, Lord, that you're Lord of all, and we pray for Amy and for Richard, and we ask for your blessing on them as a couple. We pray, bless them abundantly, Lord Jesus. Lord, help them to find a family of faith that they can really plug into and use all of their gifts and talents. Lord, we thank you that all the question marks that are before them, Lord, you will erase those question marks and lead them in the ways that are everlasting. And so we trust you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bless you. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. If uh, you could open your Bible, uh, your Bible is going to fall open in the book of Luke, because uh, we're going to be there for probably a year or so. Uh, and uh, today we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 15. Uh, so we're carrying on our uh, series entitled Savior, and uh, through this series we are looking to see more about Jesus. We want to savor who Jesus is uh, through these uh, portraits of Jesus in the pages of Luke. And uh, today, as we carry on in our journey in Luke, Caniso started us off last week here in Toti, and Rob was in uh, Ilfracom. We're going to read a very relatable story. This story, I believe, is going, to, is going to land in your life, and you're going to feel like I can relate to it. You know, if someone has won a, a gold medal at the Olympics, you might say, well, that's nice for you, but I can't relate. I've never won anything. Um, but today's story, I really believe you're going to feel like I can relate to the story. If you are uh, in church today or you're online maybe and you're not a believer in Jesus yet, you're on a journey of faith, it is such a great morning for you to be here or to be listening in. And the reason why is today we're going to be talking about the problem of pain. Every single human being on the planet experiences pain. 
And uh, if you don't yet know Jesus, you're going to hear how do believers in Jesus process the problem of pain with our faith. And so I'm so glad that you're here with us. So let's just jump right into the narrative. We're going to read a few verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach and then read some more verses as we go. So we pick it up in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. And in verse 5, it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. This account that we're about to read is about a priest. This story is about a priest. He's kind of, uh, uh, today he would be like a pastor, I guess. Uh, he's a priest called Zechariah, and it's about him and his wife. Now, Zechariah's name is actually beautiful, and it is poetic. It's full of meaning. Uh, just uh, English names have no meaning. I'm just Gareth. That's just Gareth. But Zulu names are like Jewish names because they've got meaning, right? Uh, I met just this last week uh, in a SGB meeting at Toti High. I met someone who introduced herself as Amashia Amatle. Beautiful eyebrows. So when she announced her name, Amashia Amatle, I, uh, having Giazamo Kufunis Zulu, I didn't quite know what that was, and so I asked her, and she said, it means beautiful eyebrows. And guess what I looked at next? Well, so eyebrows, okay. Uh, what a name. And um, Zachariah's parents gave him a name, and it wasn't beautiful eyebrows, uh, but his name is full of meaning because for 400 years since the prophet Malachi, there wasn't any word from God that was on the level of all the Old Testament prophets. There was nothing after Malachi for 400 years. That takes us back to nearly Jan van Riebeek's time. For 400 years, there wasn't a prophet who had spoken with authority like the Old Testament prophets. And so to give your child, the name Zechariah, was a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because that name means Jehovah has remembered. And I was thinking about that and thinking, well, was it that his parents battled to have him and then he, they, they fell pregnant and they felt Jehovah's remembered us? Or was it a, a statement about Israel that even though there's no, there's a spiritual doldrums in the, in the nation, Jehovah will remember us? Or was it a prophetic name over Zechariah, as we will see in the story, that you will one day say, Jehovah has remembered me? But by whatever means you look at this name, this name has got meaning. Let's get back to our story. And he had a wife. That's what today is all about, uh, the Young Adults Conversation. He had a wife, and she was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. I think Zechariah was a very happy guy. We're going to learn about Elizabeth in some of the weeks to come because we're going to spend a bit of time on her because she is a godly woman. She's a great catch. Like to have her on, on, your, on, your, on your side as your spouse, Zechariah is a happy guy. What we can say for now is that Zechariah had found a godly woman. We're about to see that in verse 6. She was a daughter of the famous house of Aaron. She was like a pastor's kid. Okay, uh, and she was godly, and uh, she came from an amazing line 
that was honored in Israel, the house of Aaron, and her name is Elizabeth. I can see Zechariah smile even now. In fact, while I was preparing this, I nearly went into a whole uh, uh, side thing, which I won't go into, but I, it made me remember the day 25 plus years ago when Nadine walked around the aisle and I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. That's what I sense in Zechariah is a smile. Verse 6, and they were both righteous before God. Can you hear the music playing in the background? It's melodic. Godly guy, godly girl, everything is perfect. They were righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments. These oaks read their Bibles and did what their Bible said. Hallelujah. And the statutes of the Lord. Oh, godly guy, godly girl, all smiles. Two people honoring God in their relationship. Two people righteous before God. If these guys were in Rec Road Church, we'd say, these guys are walking the wise way. They walked it from singleness to marriage. They honored God in their singleness. They honored God in their marriage. What an idyllic picture of a blessed life. Isn't it just perfect? You can imagine this couple are blessed by God, can't you? Can you? After all, they were godly. God must have been answering all their prayers. They must have felt satisfied. They must have felt fulfilled. Let's look at verse 7. But. Sometimes buts are good. Sometimes buts are bad. This is a bad but. They had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. Luke's a doctor, and he's saying, did a, did a diagnosis, can't have children. Not just hasn't yet had child, can't. Barren. And both were advanced in years. Now, that's really ruined the party, hasn't it? It's really ruined the story. I mean, the story was up and up. And then verse 7, but... Our neat, idyllic story of this romantic couple who both the priest and the priest's daughter and they're godly and they're together and it's perfect, but. But as their story comes crashing into this painful reality, their story becomes relatable to you and me. Because our stories are like their story. You see, this isn't a filtered Instagram post or an airbrushed magazine cover. This is real life, and real life is tough. Just tell the person next to you, real life is really tough. It is. It's hard. I believe every single person in this room, you might not be barren. You might not be childless at the moment. That might not be your issue, but you can identify with this story because of verse 7. Sadly, not only did this godly married couple have no child, it wasn't just that they needed to have a date time. You know, they needed a bit more couple time and that could fix it. No, no more couple time would fix it because medically she's barren. Imagine their disillusionment. Imagine their disappointment. Imagine their, as God followers, imagine their questions. Imagine their prayer life. What do you think they prayed? Imagine the frustration in their prayer. Imagine the challenge to their faith. Are you identifying with this, this couple yet? They had served God, verses 4 to 6 tells us, faithfully. 
They were righteous. They were a priest and a priest's daughter. They knew what it meant to serve God, to give your life to God. They obeyed God, verse 6 says, and they walked in God's ways. You know, even today, even though we have a very selfish culture these days, and maybe we're delaying having children because we've got other priorities, in this day, in, in, in today's day, there's not many married couples who don't want to have kids. There might be some, but it's not the norm. Well, in this day, for a, a couple who are married to not have a child is a tragedy of monumental proportions. And so to make things worse, Zechariah and Elizabeth they aren't young anymore. This isn't like, you know, they've been married for three years and then they decided to start trying to have kids and after two more years, now they're five years as a married couple and they still haven't had a kid. This isn't a short thing. The Bible tells us that they were advanced in years. In other words, they were old. That's code for old. If you say to someone, if you think someone's old but you don't want to say you're an old guy, just say you're advanced. Okay? They were old. And what that means is that the pain and the disappointments in their lives, their unanswered prayers, hadn't just been for a few months, hadn't just been for a short time. No, this cycle of pain, because if you haven't had children and you want children, this happens once a month to you. If you're a woman, you realize once a month, I don't have a child. I don't have a child. I don't have a child. For Elizabeth to not have a child must have, must have been a massive challenge to her sense of identity as a woman and as a wife. Zachariah, are you still okay with me? I, I haven't borne you a child yet. It must have threatened her faith. It must have threatened her love and her devotion to God. It maybe even gave her a sense of disappointment with God. It would have resulted in her feeling the pain of social alienation. Even if her well-meaning friends didn't want to, every time one of her friends uh, had a baby shower, I don't know if they did baby showers in, 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 that st- in that day, but every time there was a baby shower or announcement that another person is pregnant or another person has been born, it must have been a complicated set of emotions in Elizabeth's heart. Would you agree? I'm happy for you and I'm sad and I'm angry and I'm praying again to God or I'm stopped praying. Rachel in Genesis 30, I think, really expresses what a woman can feel like in a moment like this. And I think Elizabeth would have identified with Rachel. In Genesis 30, verse 1, when uh, Rachel isn't having a child, she says, Give me children or I shall die. Men, you can't relate to this, but this is deep and big for Elizabeth. You hear me? This isn't just a little thing. This is a big thing. Elizabeth and Zechariah not having a child is a massive challenge to their faith in God and a massive stumbling block to their happiness. And although I can't empathize with Elizabeth for two reasons, firstly, simply because I'm not a woman, and secondly, because I've had the joy of four children with Nadine, as a pastor, I have walked along one couple for 11 years who tried to have children and two other people not in our church who just never had children. And I do know some of that pain. Friends, in this fallen world, every single person, for you it might not be barrenness, it might be something else, but every person on this planet faces a common problem, and it's what I'm calling today the problem 
of pain. The problem is you only have to live long enough. It's not if you'll experience pain, it's simply when and how. That's it, when and how. You will experience pain. You will experience suffering, heartache, delay. And you'll experience the nagging questions that come as a result of that pain. And the reason for this is because as human beings, we are what I would call meaning makers. We try to work out the reason or the, the meaning behind whatever is happening to us. And so there's the pain of not only what's happening to us, but also the why. Why me? Why now? Why not now? So I want to ask the question, what can we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth's pain today and I want to bust, I want to destroy, I want to smash three myths about pain today from this story. Are you ready? Myth number one, godliness, this is a myth, this isn't a statement of truth. There is a myth that godliness, if you're godly, it will equal, I will have no pain in my life. I will, I will face no suffering. Now, although all of Scripture agrees that it is always better for us to, to live God's way, to, to live in a way that obeys God's commands, although it's always good for us to live God's way, not our own way, just ask Adam and Eve, they started this whole mess of going our own way, it's always better to live God's way than to go your own way, both in this life and in eternal life, although that is true, and although God does reward and bless obedience to Him, and there are definitely scriptures about that, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story exposes that it's way too simplistic to just have that little formula. And this little idea, this myth has crept into modern Christianity that following God equals a blessed life always. And it's a myth. In its extreme forms, this oversimplistic, unbiblical belief makes a blessed life the goal of your life. And so God and following God is not out of love for God, but it's actually a means to an end so that you can get a blessed life. The reason you're following God is so that you can get a blessed life. The reason I obey Scripture is so that I can get a blessed life. Then God is not God. The God of your life is a blessed life. Can you see what I'm talking about? And this has definitely crept into modern-day Christianity. Some people who take this to the extreme serve God, they come to church, they believe in order to get something from God, a blessed life. Our Zechariah and Elizabeth story is a massive challenge to this heretical, ungodly thinking. Why? Because they were godly. They were obeying God, verses 4 to 6 tell us. And yet they experienced this massive pain even while they were being godly. This week, uh, we've got some amazing, long-standing, advanced couples in our church who celebrate massive, uh, massive uh, wedding anniversaries. When their wedding anniversaries come up, you need to get out the letters and uh, you, need, you need to get out the numbers. And just this week, Tlalele and Cabo celebrated 44 years. Where, where are Tlalele and Cabo? It got corrected. It's 44. Where, where are they? There they are. Stand up, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. 
I know you weren't prepared for this, uh, but I just want to ask you a question. You've, you've served God. I know you both love God, and you've loved each other for 44 years. I think, Lalele, you, you got ahead of yourself, thought it was 45, hey? But it was 44. So some people were correcting me from the front here. I checked my, my facts and figures. Uh, guys, you've loved God uh, all these years, and you've loved each other. I presume you've therefore experienced no pain or sadness at all. Is that correct? You've, you've loved God, you've served God, and you've loved each other, and you've been faithful to each other, but you've still experienced pain. This story relates to their story. Guys, we just want to say we love you. We thank you for uh, amazing couples like you that we can honestly look up to. I loved seeing elders writing to you guys this week saying, man, you're my hero. And I just want to say, well done, keep going. Carbo and Tlalele have served God, loved God, loved each other, been faithful to each other, but still experienced pain. Zachariah, Elizabeth, loved God, served God, but still experienced pain. That busts the myth. For you, it might not be barrenness. It might be that there was a car crash. It might be that there was illness. It might be that someone died uh, in an untimely death. It might have been a horrific experience that you had. It might have been financial or relational breakdown. And then the onslaught of big questions that come with that. In a moment, in that moment, if you believed when a difficult life circumstance comes, if you have believed this myth that godliness is a guarantee of an easy life, or if you've bought into the lie of the prosperity gospel that Serving God means that a blessed life is your goal. You're going to have a faith crisis when trouble comes. When trouble visits you, when suffering and pain visits you, which it will, it's not if, just when and how, you will suddenly have a faith crisis if that pain comes. And you say, but I was serving God. I thought, I thought this is what the Christian life says. Friends, we don't know exactly how Zachariah and Elizabeth responded to their personal pain, to their chronic sadness. But we do know that this couple story defies the myth that godliness equals a pain-free life. And as we'll see next week, no doubt, as Tom preaches, Zachariah's faith was impacted by this pain. Maybe his faith was dulled a bit. It might have been blunted, and there might have been some unbelief that had crept into his heart. But Scripture still summarizes. The Scriptures tell us about Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth. And verse 6 says, they were blameless. They were walking blamelessly. That is present and continuous. So the Scripture's view of them is, even though they might have been really struggling, they were still walking blamelessly before God in the midst of this pain. Let's bust myth number two. Myth number two. Pain is always from the devil. Zechariah and Elizabeth's story also busts this myth. You can easily end up believing as a believer that pain always comes from the devil when you deal with pain. Because you just can't imagine it coming from any other place. Some Christians literally see the devil behind Every hardship. 
everything that doesn't fit your idea of good in your life, it must be the devil. And, and I've done this before. You know, something happens, you know, like the, the, the bonnet of your car flips and hits the windscreen. This must be the devil. And then a week later, exactly the same thing happens. This must be the devil. True story. Two weeks ago, Bowley household. Must be the devil. Or maybe we just didn't clip it down properly. We check now. Brothers and sisters, you can waste a lot of hot air. I'm not even calling it prayer. Sometimes prayer is just hot air. You can waste a lot of time in hot air binding the devil for all sorts of things that you should never give him credit for because he didn't do it. This story doesn't allow us to say everything is the devil. It just doesn't allow you to get to that conclusion. Yes, the devil's actions and schemes can and is behind something sometimes. Absolutely. I have definitely experienced this. But it is way too simplistic and unhelpful to ascribe everything that happens in your life that isn't good to the devil. You're giving the devil way too much credit. He's not that powerful. Why didn't they have a child then? Firstly, you could say from this passage that one answer is that God was planning something that they could have never imagined if he told them. The reason they hadn't had a child was that God was up to something that they just had no idea of. Another answer, it's in the heart and the plan of God, not our happiness. Our happiness isn't what God exists for. He exists for His glory. He exists for His plans and His purposes. And so even though His plans and purposes meant pain and suffering in their life for a period of time, God was going to still fulfill His plan and purpose because the ultimate in our life is not our happiness but God's glory. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Let me read that again. From God are all things, through God are all things, and to God are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. The passion and the purpose in the heart of God is not ultimately your happiness, it's His glory. And if you read church history, there are many people who endured much unhappiness for the glory of God. Some people have died for the glory of God. You see, we put ourselves on the, on the throne and our happiness on the throne, and then we end up in a crisis of faith. And so here in their life, it was not the devil at play here. You see, for Zechariah and, and Elizabeth to go on a spiritual warfare course or pilgrimage or to go to some self-proclaimed spiritual warfare guru or them binding the devil in passionate prayer to release their blessing would have been an absolute waste of time because it wasn't the devil. It was God. Elizabeth's barrenness was the plan of God in Elizabeth's life. And we're about to see that. So don't make the mistake of always thinking. Just tell the person next to you, he, he said, don't make the mistake of always. 
Doesn't mean it's never the devil. It's just not always. Just tell the person next to you in case they missed that. It's not always the devil. Okay, because it wasn't the devil this time. What I want to encourage you to do is to ask this. To pray to your heavenly Father who loves you with all of his heart. To pray to Jesus and to say, God, are you doing anything through this? Dad, are you at work somehow through these circumstances? And how do you want me to respond? The third myth I want to bust is the myth that God must be punishing me. Have you ever heard someone say that? I know you've never said it, but, but other people sometimes think that. Huh? huh? You know those people. God must be punishing me. Well, their unanswered prayers were also, we know there were nothing wrong in God. God didn't lose control for a moment. Oh, no, I don't know what to do with Elizabeth's barrenness. Okay, it wasn't that God wasn't loving or God wasn't faithful. And it was nothing wrong in them that God was punishing. God wasn't punishing them for anything. You know, although pain can be inserted into your life by God, just have to read Haggai chapter 1, which is what we read this week. You must read your Bible, friends. We read Haggai chapter 1 this week. And if you read Haggai chapter 1, you know that God can insert pain in your life for His purposes. Just read Haggai chapter 1. Just read Hebrews 12 verses 7 to, uh, to 12. And you know God can insert pain into your life for the purpose of training you in godliness to get your attention. C.S. Lewis famously said, pain is God's megaphone to get your attention, although pain can be inserted into your life by your father, it is always good to ask this question, dad, are you doing something? What are you saying to me in this? Although hard things and pain and suffering can come from the hand of God because of his purposes that he's trying to work out in our life, don't make the mistake of believing the myth that pain must equal God is punishing me. Why do I say that? Because we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous, but they had no children. They were walking blamelessly before God, but they had no children. So the question is why? And a simple reading of Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 reveals that it wasn't anything that was wrong or sinful in them. God was not punishing them. Rather, we can say from Scripture about Zechariah and Elizabeth that their experience was the plan and the purpose of God for their lives. That God was going to do something in them and through them, and He was going to glorify Himself through this whole thing. God was working out a plan that they just didn't fully understand or see yet. And I believe this is so true of us often, isn't it? We just can't see the full picture yet. We just don't understand the full picture yet. That is so often the truth. And in moments like this, when you don't see the full picture, you don't fully yet understand, what we need to do is trust God. We need to trust Him as the way maker. We need to trust Him for who He is and for what He's done, how He's acted in the past towards us. You know, when Adam and Eve couldn't understand why God said, don't eat from this tree. What they needed to do was to trust that He was good and that He was loving and that His plan for their life was best.
And when you don't fully understand, don't make the mistake that Adam and Eve made. Decide to trust who God is. Let's read the rest of our passage and then start moving towards a close from verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest, remember the last verse we looked at was verse 7, which said, but, and then they weren't able to have children. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him in the temple an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah has an encounter with God through an angel. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Hallelujah. You can hear the music building. And your wife Elizabeth, who is barren, by the way, Dr. Luke said she's barren, can't have children, not just hasn't had children yet, barren. Well, the barren wife that you have will bear you a son, and you shall call him John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." The, the, the pain of verse 7 is about to be totally overturned. In that moment, God promised to miraculously overcome their problem of Elizabeth's barrenness and to give them their long-awaited desire for a child. God was going to take Zechariah's name. God has remembered us. Jehovah has remembered us. And he was going to turn it into their song. God's remembered us. Brothers and sisters, let us, when we're still in verse 7 in our lives, before we get to verses 8 to 15, before we can see the end of the story, before something happens that changes everything, when you're still stuck in verse 7 of Luke chapter 1, may we not make the mistake of prematurely concluding what has happened what is happening or what is not happening. Don't prematurely decide whether God has been faithful to you. Don't make that mistake. You see, before God showed up through an angel to Zechariah, Zechariah and Elizabeth could have at any point made a mistake of concluding that God wasn't faithful. You know, maybe they're at a dinner party and someone's talking and say, some people say God is faithful. What do you guys think? Oh, I don't think He's faithful. We've been praying forever. We've been reading the Bible. We've been serving God. And look, we've still got no child. God is not faithful. They could have made that mistake. They could have made the mistake of thinking, it's the devil. It's the devil. made the mistake of thinking, Elizabeth, we must have done something wrong. We, we must have done something wrong. I mean, I've thought and I've thought. Let's sit down and think again. We must have done something wrong because God's still punishing us. But all of those three ideas would have been wrong because God was at work. They, they just needed to wait and not prematurely decide. Friends, when we don't know, when we can't answer why, when God hasn't answered us yet seemingly, I pray that we would trust God for who He is. Amen? May we believe that He is in total control. He hasn't lost control. And He is working out all things. Say all things. 
all things, including this thing in your life, according to the good purpose of His will and His glory. Look at these two verses from the New Testament. We've already looked at, at the Romans one, but I just couldn't help but put it up again. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 as well. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. I love this. Who works all things. Say all things. All things. What does He work them? According to the counsel of His will. In other words, He will work all things according to what He has decided to do. That's your God. And so in conclusion, I want you to know something. We're about to break bread together. I believe God wants you to know something. If you feel like you're in the fire right now, there's a difficult life circumstance, this is what you need to leave knowing. There is another in the fire standing right next to you. His name is Jesus. You are not alone. If you're in pain, if you're in a fiery circumstance right now, you need to know that Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16 tells us that our Lord and Savior Jesus left heaven and He entered your humanity and my humanity and He experienced life just like we experience and He experienced pain and hardship and abuse from others and misunderstanding and being judged falsely. He went through all of that so that he could be your great high priest that can understand and empathize with you in your pain. He did all of that, and then he promised in Scripture in Hebrews 13 verse 5, never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with me. God with you. And so the God who stood in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were literally in a fire, and the king looked in and he saw not three people but four people, because God was with them in the fire. God is in your fiery circumstances, and he's in your pain as well. And he's doing things that we just can't fully understand at the present time. Amen? And so I want to invite you to stand because we're going to break bread right now. And I want to connect breaking bread with what, everything we've just said. As we break bread, when you hold that bread, you're going to be remembering Jesus' body in the little, in the little biscuit. You're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for you. And you're remembering the red juice is that Jesus' blood flowed for you. Jesus entered our humanity. He suffered and died to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. And when we say, Somlandela, I'll follow you, Jesus. Jesus, I'll follow you even if it means pain in my life. I'll do what my Savior did. Jesus endured pain to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. He prayed in John 17. Father, glorify your name before he gave his life. And I want to urge you to give your life to Jesus afresh. If you don't know Jesus yet, then this meal isn't for you yet. 
but it can be for you today. If you just say, Jesus, I give you my life and I ask you to forgive me of my sin, then come and take the meal. It's for you. But this meal is for the believers in Jesus. So we're going to play a song which just celebrates. So we're going to play it in just a moment and maybe just listen to a little bit of the song and you can close your eyes, you can watch and just let the Holy Spirit meet you right where you're at. I'm going to pray for us. And when you're ready, come and break bread. Uh, um, take, take communion at the table. Let's not be talking to each other. Let's stay in this attitude of worship. And then I actually want to pray for people if there's uh, um, an opportunity for ministry. We want to create an opportunity for ministry. So let's just pray and then we're going to play the song. And let's just have our eyes fixed on Jesus. I want us to go today knowing those myths have been busted but more importantly, Jesus is with us. Amen? Why don't you just lift up your hands to him? Jesus, we thank you that you are, you're not metaphorically with us. You are present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're here right now. Thank you that we are nothing less than the temples of the Holy Spirit. I pray you would rush upon your people again, Holy Spirit. I pray for each one. Lord, you know their circumstances. You know what they're going through. You know what, what wrongful thinking the devil's tried to get them into. I pray you would set your people free today. I pray, Lord, that hope would come flooding into our hearts. We'd see you again. I thank you, Jesus, that you are in our circumstances with us. And so, Lord, as we break bread, we remember you. We remember that you didn't shrink back from suffering. You went through suffering for the glory of God. We say we want to be like you, Jesus. Let's play the song. And you just linger for a while. And when you're ready, come take communion. And then we'll pray for people a little bit later.
between you and I. There is nothing that can stand between us if we've put our faith in Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Just thank him. There is nothing that can stand between you and him. If there's anything in your thinking this morning that's been challenged, maybe you've had a wrong, you, maybe you've hold, held on to one of those myths, maybe two, maybe even three. Why don't you just repent, say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for, for not seeing the way Scripture would have me see it. This one little story busts those myths. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for faith to rise in this room. I pray, Lord God, for faith. I pray, Lord God, that no one would prematurely decide what you have or have not done or will not do. Lord, we declare this morning that our goal is not our happiness. It's not a blessed life. Our goal is you, Jesus. You are enough for us. You are our plan and our purpose. You're the one we live for. You're the one we long for. We declare your glory, not our glory. Not our happiness, but your glory is our goal. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We adore you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.